SBF became a star in Democratic politics because he had a checkbook that he tossed around town. They're going to listen to you if they think that you do have sugar daddy potential. The picture looks very different when that checkbook is down to zero. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, November 14th, so it's Media Monday here at the Powers That Be. Today, John Kelly is here to talk about the stunning collapse of the crypto powerhouse FTX and its young leader, Sam Bankman-Fried, who just one week ago was one of the most celebrated names in finance, politics, and philanthropy. John and I talk about how all this went down and how the media is covering all the drama. We hear about all that and more in today's episode of Powers That Be. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Happy Monday, everybody. If it's Monday, it's Media Monday, in which I'm joined by my boss man, my mentor, really, John Kelly. How are you doing, John? <laughs> Happy Media Monday, Peter. <laughs> so it's, this will be our 205th episode. So we got a while to go to our next birthday. <laughs> 205th. And, and we're actually, um, uh, as, as some discerning listeners know, we, we, we taped this slightly before uh, 3 a.m. on Monday morning. But uh, I'm excited because uh, we're going to be hanging out today at uh, at Puck HQ for uh, for Bill Cohan's exciting book party for Power Failure, the uh, the rise and fall and fall and fall of an American icon, General Electric. I am so pumped for that. One, I'm pumped to hang out at the Puck office in New York, which I haven't seen. Uh, pumped to be around the team in person and not on Zoom. Pumped to celebrate Bill because this is embarrassing on my part, but it's like in my little narrow political funnel. Wasn't really aware of Bill's work too much until he started working at Puck and quickly realized that he's a legend and have devoured one of his books already. Um, and a little Hamby family lore here. My grandfather worked at GE his whole life, so I'm excited to read the book. Uh, the book is fantastic. I actually I, I spent last week reading it, and um, I want to let Bill have the opportunity to uh, to be the author who gets to pump his own work. But it, it is extraordinary. Uh, I mean, it, it's a true soap opera, uh, particularly the chapters uh, surrounding the Jack Welch uh, succession decision. And you know, there were there were marriages that were crumbling at the time. There were people whose wives were having affairs with other people's chauffeurs. Um, oh, a lot of uh, a lot of very serious personal decisions um, were impacting some some very uh, significant decisions. I mean, we, we forget now, and you and I actually are a little bit too young to remember this. But but GE was the biggest company in the world. It was the uh, you know I think the uh, biggest company by market cap, like a you know maybe half trillion uh, dollars on um, January first, two thousand, and then. Obviously, it's it has since been delisted, and and a reminder to us as we talk about like, you know, the biggest companies of our time, like Facebook and and Netflix, and how um, nothing is permanent. In fact, very very few things are. Um, I want to talk to you about a fall from 
grace uh, of a different kind, a much more modern kind. I, I would love to try to explain crypto to my grandfather or Jack Welch or anyone else who worked in the heyday of General Electric. But the big, big story last week, other than the election, was the collapse of the global crypto exchange, FTX, and its uh, mop-headed leader, Sam Bankman-Fried, who Teddy has covered extensively here at Puck. He basically declared bankruptcy. His entire staff resigned. Uh, A lot of people, a lot of observers and critics were saying that this looks like a Ponzi scheme. Uh, and, you know, now he's under investigation. Um, he's his All of his assets have been frozen by the Bahamas where he was living. The biggest rival in his world, the, the crypto exchange finance, was at first going to do a buyout. Then they opened the books. Then they backed away. And there's some friction between their Chinese owner and, and Sam himself. What has the reaction been in the sort of both the financial press and also just writ large. It seems like this is being treated as like the next Theranos or Bernie Madoff. Like nothing the press and probably Hollywood loves more than a big, big scam story um, that might be getting too far ahead of where we're at right now. But what, what's been your take on the reaction to this? This is wild. I have to admit, I, I have been a, a, a thousand times more interested in this than I than I have been in the midterms. Like maybe a, a million times <laughs> for, for all the reasons that you that you mentioned. SPF is is new to the scene. Uh, you know, FTX is only a, a few years old, but he has used his I- expansive clout to to have a, a, a massive and growing cultural footprint. The company, I think, was last valued at thirty three billion dollars. They own the naming rights for the stadium in Miami. Every umpire during the World Series is what you had an FTX badge on their uh, on their blue shirt. Uh, he was, you know considered the, the next George Soros of the Democratic Party. He he pumped $15 million into some obscure candidate from the Oregon exurbs who wanted to, <laughs> yes. you know, focus on on the next, uh, preventing the next pandemic. You know, he believed that he was going to spend billions over his lifetime on advocacy. And he has multiple donor-advised funds. He and his brother are incredibly active in um, what's called effective altruism, which is this insane tree-hugging, like, you know, mega leftward flank of the quixotic wing of the Democratic Party. There was some reporting to suggest that this kind of toaster oven in the bathtub hair that he has and, and, and beanbag look uh, was, was a contrivance, which, like, obviously it had to be a little bit. But what we didn't know until Tuesday and truly Wednesday was that there was a apparently like deeply unethical, I don't want to say fraud because I'm, I'm not uh, a regulator, relationship between FTX, his crypto exchange, and Alameda, which is the basically the crypto hedge fund that he runs, and that it seems like there was money going back and forth. And of course, as you know, um, any bank that's regulated by the FDIC that has a, a fiat currency has to have assets backed one-to-one. Things are a little bit murkier in crypto world. And so... It's unclear whether people who are making deposits were having their money move into um, other aspects of the business or maybe a whole other business to potentially be put to work elsewhere, even with its proprietary coin. Anyway, so CZ, who is the guy who runs Binance, seemed to either know something or suspect something, and they found this vulnerability, and they began a sell-off. And it was a massive sell It reminded me uh, on some level of the um, opposite of what we saw during the GameStop phenomenon, where any reasonable hedge fund manager knew that companies like GameStop and AMC had no had very little long-term viability, maybe shouldn't have been publicly traded given the um, particularly the pandemic economy we lived in. 
but yet the larger kind of Robinhood population was defying them by pumping money into the stock that, that would uh, wind down and obliterate their short position. This was the opposite, where to cruel effect, where CZ started to withdraw his money in extraordinary tranches, large chunks over a period of time. And he declared it publicly. And he has such clout in that world that other people began to withdraw at what was a sort of Robin Hooder level that created a tailspin where FTX could no longer make these withdrawals. And like, I don't know all this stuff. I obviously wasn't in these conversations, but I think we're going to find out soon that this, this potential sale to Binance was total bullshit, like total, total bullshit. Binance was just basically moving uh, SBF further over the barrel. They signed an LOI, which is a totally meaningless document in this kind of an exchange. And SBF was just trying to plead for a little bit of time to raise more money. He, we now know he went out to um, a number of private equity companies. I think he's still trying to raise rescue financing now so that he can pay back his depositories. <laughs> Good luck getting that money, buddy, especially with, with the DOJ and the SEC investigating. I mean, the level of punishment, I'm not a lawyer. I shouldn't speculate, but it's obviously incredibly significant here. But here are a couple things that are interesting to me about comparing this to other sort of Silicon Valley mega combustion. The speed at which FTX went from a valuation of 32 or 33 billion to zero is faster than anything in recorded human history, right? Theranos, it was um, materially smaller. It was quick, but it wasn't overnight. It was over a period of, of months. And then the final sort of John Kerry story just, just nuked it. Also notably different, Theranos' investor base was largely people who were not, it was not the Sand Hill Road crowd. It was, it was individual investors. It was not biotech investors. It was guys like George Schultz, who may know how to end a cold war, but doesn't know shit about investing. And you will find as you, you know, as one like circles these worlds, how different the investing philosophy is from so many other professions. It, it, it is not um, something that is, is usually transferable. Whereas with SBF, these were the biggest of the big soft bank, light speed. Sequoia is the one that's getting all the intention because of the way that, that for, first of all, because they apparently lost a ton of money in Twitter. And, and this is a double whammy. And they, they released this investor letter this week that, that tried to suggest that the, the money they've lost in FTX, which they're marking to zero, is a fraction, mere percentage points of the fund, which has a gross of like seven or eight billion in ROI. A friend who shared this with me said, boy, if I was, if I was investing hundreds of millions of dollars in Sequoia, I would want something more than a letter that said, dear limited partners, <laughs> you know, which, which seemed a little bit, uh, a little bit cold here. But, but this was the smart guys is what I'm saying here. Like the, the smart guys believed in SBF. And it's, it's a, it was a symbol to me of how little we still truly understand crypto. And this guy was, in retrospect, he was too good to be true. Barely 30 years old, looks like a caricature out of an HBO spoof of this, right? Like <laughs> this is like the Veep guy that you would expect, like wears shorts all the time, lives in the Bahamas, is friends with the mooch, the hair. And it turns out now we learned on Friday that the, the CEO of Alameda, we learned it's a 28-year-old woman who apparently may be SBF's girlfriend. So it's not as though they were running Russell Reynolds searches to get the best people in these positions. It's exactly just the sort of scam that our culture deserves in 2022. John, this is a fascinating conversation. Let's take a quick break though, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. John, it does feel like when you mentioned smart guys, 
vouching for this exchange or this fund. Like there were a lot of comparisons, in other words, to like the Lehman Brothers collapse. There's actually a, a fantastic video going viral on Twitter that's resurfaced of Sam like testifying about how they are transparent. They're nothing like Lehman Brothers <laughs> when he was being pressed in some Senator House committee hearing about them. I was just scrolling just now through some of the biggest investors in FTX. And like one of them is like the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like a, a pension plan, a teacher's pension plan needs to invest in like the safest Warren Buffett level kinds of funds and things like that, like mutual funds. One of the actual like scary secrets of how money courses through our system is that uh, I agree it's unusual that the Ontario Teachers Fund would direct would invest directly in FTX, but they're doing that because the biggest pension funds and retirement funds from police officers, teachers, firemen, they are what make up the investor base, the limited partner base in the biggest venture capital firms on Sand Hill Road and the biggest private equity companies in the world. They are the limited partners. And if you ever sit down with some of the biggest investors from Sand Hill Road in, in the VC world and private equity, there is a material asymmetrical difference between the people who make investments on behalf of the pensioners and maybe the Yale University endowment and the people who work at Sequoia, right? These Some people make a couple hundred thousand bucks a year and are putting hundreds of millions to work. Others make hundreds of millions a year and are putting billions to work. But their money actually, to get back to the Toronto um, pensioners, they probably wanted to invest directly in FTX because they probably were already invested there through some other fund and they wanted to avoid the management fees of VC. So one of the like really interesting things that's often underappreciated in, in our culture is that these huge, ginormous zero to one startups that make it, they're funded by the money of ordinary people, almost always. And when it works, it works. When it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It, you usually work with a Sequoia or Lightspeed because they have track records that suggest that they do find these winners early and at preferable terms. But the money that they are staking, we have to always remember, it is not their own. It is funds that they raise through limited partnerships that are always, uh, or very often, you know, in addition to, to high net worth people, the collective pools of capital from working people in this, in this country. It is just one of this sort of interesting perversions of how this world works and, and this really exposed it. The decisions to move that money into FTX are made by savant titans of high finance. You know, like they are the smart guys. I had I bought some crypto based on the advice of two very smart friends who <laughs> made a lot of money doing other things. And then they invested money in crypto like when it was peaking. And it's just like crypto is not generally understood by most of the public. You know, it's like hard to set up. It's just like not an easy, accessible thing. Maybe, maybe, yeah, like you said, it can pay off. It's like, it's like Brian Kelly going for two in overtime against Alabama. Like you get, you get in the end zone, you're a genius. <laughs> you don't, you're terrible. And a lot of people who are like running these funds and moving this money around can either look really smart if they take a big risk or not. And I'm just like, not one of these the crypto experts. It just feels like an incredibly risky place to put a shitload of money. But yeah, that's exactly what happened. I hope that you appreciate the work that Cousin Brian is doing for the Tigers down in Baton Rouge. Um, but you know, you made a good uh, reference earlier to, to Lehman. You know what the other difference is here besides like, you know, one being in the real world and the other being in the crypto world? Lehman was bought out in a for sale 
for pennies in the dollar, they ended up revising the sale price up eventually, you know, at the behest of basically the, you know, treasury and the White House. That's what happens in the like FDIC world where like treasuries are backed up. Like that does not exist in the crypto world. No one has to do anything. The promise of DeFi is that there isn't the central nervous system that has this sort of fiat system. So I don't know if this isn't ever going to happen again. I don't think that this world wants to be regulated to the point where it can prevent this from happening again the same way. I don't think 2008 is ever going to happen again. They, they, they put enough systems in place. I don't know if they can if they can do this. That's a good point too. Also, like the crypto world has resisted any kind of government regulation up to this point, despite the efforts of certain senators to do so. And this makes it almost certain that there will be oversight. And whatever mistakes were made at FTX, the rest of the crypto industry will now have to feel the pain of that. And there's egg on a lot of people's faces. But one, one, one capstone here is that SBF became a star in democratic politics because he had a checkbook that he tossed around town. But guess what? When you do that, you do get private audiences with senators and Congress people to talk your book about your industry. And they're going to listen to you if they think that you do have sugar daddy potential or, or George Soros potential. The picture looks very different when that checkbook is down to zero. And look, like this guy's 30. I don't know what kind of punishment he's facing for this. But when he writes these long tweet threads that begin and end with, I'm sorry, it seems like he's living on another planet and, and doesn't realize just the orders of magnitude of uh, problems before him. But I, I guess that's just a part of growing up. Okay, John, I'm so excited to hang out with you today and find out uh, which mediocre lunch places we can walk to um, near the office in New York. Oh, we're, we're going to take you to Mamoya, Peter. That's the um, that's the puck version of the Peach Pit. So, um, Love that. Me and you there at a two-top at uh, one o'clock. Close your eyes and, and dream about it right now. <laughs> I'm already getting hungry. All right, John. Thanks. All right, buddy. See you later. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.